Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatic, sitting here with Aaron Cameron at the Ottawa Real Estate Forums. As part of our Informa podcast series, we're doing at a bunch of the forums across the country. We're happy to be in Ottawa today with Julie Taggart, VP Operations and Leasing from Taggart Realty Management. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you very much for having me. So Julie, the typical process here, let's start with just kind of how you got into real estate. Now you have the same last name. I'm assuming that's not a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. Okay. <laughs> actually, I came into the business. I wasn't expecting to actually to come into the business. After I graduated university in business, I spent five years traveling around the world and teaching English. And did I you did, go to Korea? I went to Taiwan. Okay, yeah. close enough. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, I spent a year doing that. I went to Australia, New Zealand, India, Nepal. And I was living in Scotland, actually. I'd come home for a friend's wedding, and I was 28, and I was thinking, I have to make a change. My friends were all getting married and sort of moving on with their life, and I was still living out of a backpack. So I went back home. I went back to Scotland, and I called my dad, and I said, you know, I think that I'm ready to come home. And my parents were very supportive when I left, and I came home and left again, and they ever sort of tell me that I had to, to stop and, and get my life together. So they were very supportive. I think they probably figured that one day I would figure it out. And, and I did. And I called my dad up and said, I'm going to come home. I didn't know what I was going to do. And he said, well, actually, there was a girl who worked for Taggart Realty and she was going back to do her MBA and there was an opportunity to come work in the office. And it wasn't for him. It was for my uncle, Paul Taggart, who was unfortunately passed away now, but he was the president of the company. So I came back and I was a, in an administrative role. And it just sort of evolved from there. I worked as as a property administrator, and then I moved on to a property manager, and then I started to get into leasing, and then... And sort of all the while saying, oh, actually, I kind of like this. this I kind of like this. kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. enjoying this. So. Did you like it more and more as your roles advanced? I did. And, you know, <laughs> I never thought I was actually going to get into leasing because the gentleman that I worked for at the time, he had a very different style than actually was my approach. He was very, I don't want to say aggressive, but he, he really had a harder approach than my, was my personal nature. So... I didn't know I wanted to do leasing, and I, I was actually talking to my cousin, who I work with now, Jeff Parks, and he said, you know, you should try it. Not everybody has the same style. So when I started doing it, it was actually fun, because when you did a lease deal, and you signed a deal with somebody, and then they went into the space, and you saw it from the beginning to the end, it was really rewarding. I really enjoyed it. For context, explain that to the listener that these are predominantly retail spaces, and you're engaged with what, leasing brokers and trying to find the right tenant for the right yeah. fit. So most of our portfolio is predominantly, uh, we call them- well, We can get into that next, okay. but yeah, just give people the context of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so it's basically retail tenants. Yeah, either I work with brokers or you pick up the phone and you, you call tenants who have existing locations. Do you want to open a second store? So, you know, there's a lot of hard phone calling and, and yeah. trying to get to entice people into your development. So that part was rewarding. It's a lot of work, but when you actually did the deal, it, it felt got, really good. The adrenaline rush. Yeah, well, it was- I mean, anybody in real estate has that, whatever fashion of the business they're working in, there's always that, yeah, we did it, right? Yeah. There. Yeah. Typically, it's deals closing, right, Adam? That's but, a great day. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly the same idea, right? Yeah. It might take forever. Like sometimes you can work on a deal for like probably similar to, to your business as well for six months to a year for a little small 1,500 square foot space, but it's still rewarding, yeah. you know, to, to do it. So I'm the weirdo who, when I improve a process, like, yeah, that process is better now. Yeah. There's the adrenaline. That, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I'm well aware it's weird. Yeah. You're, in the, you're in the right job, apparently. Though. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. <laughs> so then I was uh, in charge of all the leasing and then my role sort of evolved where I've sort of stepped back. I'm not in the day-to-day operations as much as I, as I was six or seven years ago. 
And now I mostly oversee our operations team and our leasing team. I work a little bit on the development side as well with retail development projects or multi-res projects. So here I am 19 years later, started there, and I expect I'll end my career there. <laughs> You're pot committed at this <laughs> yeah, point. I think I am. I don't think I'm going to change my career today. So it's been great because I really, I didn't really expect to be in this role when I was 28 and I came home. So I'm, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I'm part of the family business, which is, it's, it's very rewarding. So let's talk about that. I mean, for those that aren't familiar with the company and, and with, with Taggart Realty, maybe just start from the beginning and kind of give us a Cole's notes of how it got started and, and how it's evolved. And then maybe let's talk about who it is today and where it's going. So my grandfather started the company in the early 1940s. He started it as a house builder. In, in Ottawa? In Ottawa, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's what, we're an Ottawa-based company. We have Ottawa and Kingston. So it was early 1940s and he built a few houses. He didn't really enjoy the customer relation experience. He, he didn't enjoy dealing with people per se. And he said, I want to do the infrastructure part. I want to put the pipes in the grounds. He was better at that. He had a you know more construction mind. So he started Tiger Construction in 1948. So 71 years ago now. So and it, it's still an existent. And uh, obviously it still exists today. It's a core part of our business. They opened an operation in Kingston as well. And then in 1983, we acquired Doran contractors. They're a general contracting division and they actually build most of our, our retail developments, any of our office buildings or our residential buildings. So that was in 1983. Then 1987, Tamarack Homes was formed. We did actually land development and we were actually buying land, servicing it and selling it back to... Uh, and at to, this point, I guess your grandfather, his children have now gotten involved. And- correct. It's kind of evolved as a family business and, and it's going to be passed down the generation. Generation, yeah. So my grandfather had seven children. My father being the oldest of the seven, five ended up being in the business. One of my uncles was a lawyer at Gowling's and my other uncle was an entrepreneur. He had several restaurants in the Ottawa market. The rest of the, the family had ended up in the business. There was six brothers and one daughter. So my father's sisters, or my father's brother-in-law, he ran Doran Contractors. Okay. So very involved and in the family business. In my generation, I'm the third generation and there's 24 of us in the family and about 12 of us in the so business. So like Thanksgiving, what's Thanksgiving again? Like <laughs> a border meeting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've actually stopped. We only get together twice a year. Once the families start to grow, I think we're about over 75 people now together. And it, so you must have like a sign at the door, like leave business behind. Um, well, like it doesn't, it can't, it can't. In a family business, you just can't. We end up sitting around the table and talking about business. So there's always something going on. I think it's just in the nature of our family. We we all join in talking about it. Is our fourth generation at the table at this point? Not Working? yet. No? no. Is that on the horizon? I suspect there will be. I mean, we're in the fourth generation, which is my kids. I think we're up to almost 30. And the eldest is just finishing high school. So we're probably looking at, you know, maybe in the next five years that there, there could be some potential fourth generations in the business as well. You, you clearly can't see it, but Julie's got a big smile on her face as she's telling this story. So clearly, <laughs> you probably wouldn't want it any other way to, no. have, to have this sort of family behemoth of, of different entities working through each other. Yeah, it's really, really fortunate. We sort of, I mean, you try and step back and look at, you know, our family isn't the norm, you know, and we are very fortunate that most of us in Ottawa, and I would say most of us get along. I mean, it's not perfect, but we are pretty lucky. It's a lucky. family. It's, it's a never, family. It's never yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So we are really fortunate where we are today. And I think my grandparents, my dad's parents, you know, had really good core family values. And I think it's sort of trickled down throughout the family. So we all really look out for each other. And it's important for everybody to be successful and to give everybody an opportunity and not give those people who may not have been in the business necessarily not to give them an opportunity. So there's always there's room for, for, for definitely family members, but we do have to be careful because 
we can't employ 30 or 40 people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it further it gets away from the patriarch or the matriarch, the more complicated it gets, I'm sure. It does. If you read studies, the third generation of a family business is the generation that actually they're succeeds or fails because suddenly you're not siblings that are your cousins, you know, and some of us are siblings, but we're cousins. You don't have that same loyalty necessarily as you do to a sibling. So in the second generation, you know, they were, they were all brothers and, and, and they all got along and they all sort of took care yeah, of each other. Lived, and, lived under the same roof their yeah, entire lives. Yeah. yeah. And they had a different dynamic because they, they fought with each other, but they knew at the end of the day they were family and that they, they had to live together. So they sort of were able to figure it all out. Interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. I'd love to come back in 20 years and get an update and just see what the fourth generation has done with it. Schedule that in right now. Yeah, we'll schedule it. Yeah, I think I might be around still. (laughs) Or back to traveling the planet. Or back to travel. Maybe that's what I'm hoping I'm doing. Pause for a while and back to traveling. So following the real estate, just as you're telling the story, you started home building, but then it sounded like you'd rather do some more infrastructure stuff. So that was really the growing force throughout the sort of 70s and 80s. And then in the 80s, the second generation came in kind of took over, it sounds like more acquisition of different types of supporting companies. Mm-hmm. And then how did it go 90s and into the 2000s? What was the business line and what were the growth strategies? When Tamarack was formed, they'd made the decision to why are we servicing land and selling lots to other home developers? Why are we not doing it? So that's where Tamarack was formed and developed, where they said there was an opportunity for them to buy the land, service it, and then obviously sell the houses. So we were very integrated in terms of all the companies. Tire Construction would go in, service the land, and then Doran doesn't build their general contract. They didn't build the actual, you know, houses, but Tamarack would develop the houses and then they would sell them. So, you know, we were trying to integrate as many of the companies as we could. And then in 1991, Tiger Realty Management was established and it it's was- a tough year to launch a real estate company. Yeah, <laughs> it was a tough year. I wasn't around then. That was when I was still actually, I think, in high school at that time. But it was a tough time, but I think the family had wanted to sort of, you know, they were always about looking forward and they were starting to buy real estate holdings. And that was a time where you could buy real estate holdings at a time where if you had cash in your bank, you could buy real estate holdings, right? So they saw that as an opportunity where they started to acquire some real estate assets and they formed Taggart Realty Management as the management company that would manage the assets for the family. So the siblings got together and bought the actual assets. Most of them are either office buildings or residential buildings. Just a small portfolio at the time, but it actually helped grow the company because as the asset appreciated in value, you were able to... And you've got some cash flow and just a little bit of value to the company. Exactly. So then what next? So then we fast forward to where we are today. It was just really about from 1991 until you know, over the last several years, just growing the business, buying land. We did open up the operation in Kingston as well, the uh, Tamarack but an operation in Kingston. So buying land in Kingston, you know, having a 20-year land supply was really important and just continue to grow the business. And then in 2000, Taggart Realty Management, where I worked, we sort of uh, had, at the time, maybe had 10 properties that we'd acquired. We started thinking about developing properties. So we looked at some sites in order to, to do retail developments. And we had a, our leasing person, a director leasing at the time, he'd come from the Rideau Center and he had sort of pushed us in this direction as well. And we had an opportunity where in Canada, to Ontario Fox Drive, because that was our first retail development. We had a, a relationship with Esso, the gentleman who was looking for sites for Esso. And he had, it was a bigger piece of land. And he said, I only want the corner. Do you guys want to buy the balance of the land? That's how it came about. We had this 12 acre site and some ideas of what we were going to do with it. And, you know, it ends up being, you know, one of our better retail sites today. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brought us into doing retail development in the Ottawa market. So we sort of shifted from acquiring assets to developing them. That would have been a pretty good size then project for your first foray yeah, into development. Acres, yeah. yeah, it was, a, it was 117,000 square feet. 
So you know, not enclosed. It's it's, uh, it's like a strip plaza. Yes, exactly. We call them neighborhood shopping centers. They yeah. service the community that they're in. And what sort of came out of that was that Tamarack, on the housing side, they would buy a piece of land and they would put the subdivision together. And part of the subdivision would have a commercial piece that they would carve out, like a ten to twelve acre site. And that ten to twelve acre site would be eventually a retail development that would service the community once the community was built out. Mm-hmm. So Tamarack would go in, build the houses, and once there was enough rooftops, then we would come in and we would say, okay, we can put in a retail, a neighborhood grocery store anchored center. We'd have the grocery store. We'd have the medical, the, all the services that would service the community, restaurants, you know, dentists, et cetera. So it's worked out very well for us. We've done seven developments in the last 15 years. And I'd say five of those are probably residual pieces of land from Tamarack. So what does the portfolio look like today? Like just generally how many square feet of retail and office and anything else like kind of under management? Have you ever sold anything along the way too would be the other question. Do you hold on to it? Well, we don't like to sell, but we have. Most of the time they're with actually assets that we own in a partnership. And either it's the partners have gotten to a point where they want to get their money out. You know, they're getting into their later days and they sort of um, would like to... Repatriate that capital, so to speak. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So because of the nature of our business, we have our property management division and we have our development arm. You know, if we sell an asset that has a potential development opportunity, we don't like to do that. And, And some of the assets that we have sold do have a development opportunity, but when we acquired the asset, it wasn't you know, 40 years or 30 years or 20 years down the road, do we think that we'd be wanting to redevelop it? So they don't have the experience, maybe the pockets to even do it. Yeah. The other question was just the size of the portfolio, just for people to have understand the scope of kind of what you're dealing with. We manage about 32 properties. So in total, it's probably close to 2 million square feet. Okay. 32 retail properties or there's some office in there as well? Office, retail, and residential. Okay. So we've got a diverse portfolio. That's apartment buildings. Yes. Yeah. We've acquired three apartment buildings, you know, since 1991. And we did our first uh, apartment building development last year, which just, it was occupied last uh, September on Wellington Street. And that was our first sort of introduction into doing apartment building development. What was that experience like? Well, we didn't actually do it through our office. It was through Tamarack, and we were sort of involved to some degree. But it was a, a condo site that we we originally bought as a condo site. And we built the condo on the corner, and it was a seven-story condo. It was very slow. The market had softened, so we struggled. And we sort of sat on it for a bit and said, what should we do? And then, you know, there seemed to be this, you know, it seemed to be happening that people were building these residential buildings. And we said, well, let's give it a try. We struggled with how we could make it work because the costs were high and there were the rents were not at the time where we thought we could get. And the rents now, the rents, you know, they're pushing $275, $3 a square foot. So suddenly, when you didn't think it would make sense, now it makes sense. So and we, we, and it sounds like the land was fairly cheap. Yeah, I mean, today, if we could buy a land today for what we paid for that back then, we would be really happy to find <laughs> yeah, opportunities yeah, like that. <laughs> home runs at yeah, the time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to look at, at new opportunities that, that are out there. And that, that in that case, that's what we did. And now it's sort of as allowing us to say, well, let's look at maybe doing more residential well, let's, buildings. Let's go into the retail space and what you're seeing in the retail space, maybe where you're seeing rents are and where you're seeing just the retail environment is like right now in Ottawa. And then let's go into maybe how you're transitioning the business. So where are retail rents today? Where were they? Where do you think they're going? For Let's Ottawa. Be, yeah. So in Ottawa, the retail, the, the rents have, they haven't sort of increased as much as they should based on what land and construction costs as they go up. Rents are not going up in parallel. So it's a challenge for developers and, and owners to look at up, like to look at the opportunities to, to build new retail space because the returns are a lot lower. Like, but, a, like a neighborhood shopping center. I mean, what, what kind of rents are you getting you know, on average? I know that's tough, but let's just call it sort of the typical suburban neighborhood where you'd have some retail space. 
for a uh, thousand to twenty five hundred square foot space, you're looking sort of mid twenty fives to high twenty fives. Is that stable? Is that where it's kind of been for the last decade? I would say roughly, yeah. Okay. It's pretty close, maybe a couple dollars more than it was, but not substantial though. Okay. And are you feeling some softening? Like we have, have a vacancy level. Yeah, when you have a vacancy come, like what's the absorption rate? Are you having a little bit harder time finding that next tenant? We've actually been really fortunate. Our portfolio has very low vacancy. We're, you know, sit at zero to maybe 5% and on average for, for most of our projects, which is a pretty good position. I think because our developments are in communities where there's not necessarily a lot of services, so it's easy to backfill the space. You're not buying retail assets on a large retail node. Like you're kind of isolated based on the development that you've participated in. Yeah, that was kind of how... That was our strategy. I mean, you look at the big box centers and they're the ones that struggle for sure. What do you do with a Michael's box that suddenly was 25,000 and they only want 10, but they're really deep. And how do you release that space that they want to you know, maintain, you know, half of it. So it is a struggle, I think, for the, the big box retailers and what they're going to do with that space. And then as well, a lot of the retailers over the last couple of years that were big boxes are filing for bankruptcy. Or or file, down, yeah, filing for bankruptcy. bankruptcy for yeah, sure. so they're leaving these big voids and, you know, Sears is an example and Target. I know some landlords have had struggle backfilling some of those spaces. I mean, they do eventually get absorbed, but it just, it's not six months like what you what you would say normally. I mean, you can look at a couple of years. And are landlords giving away more in the lease to make it happen? More concessions, more incentives, things like that to uh, get these done? Yeah, I mean, for sure, for boxes like that, I mean, there's TIs and rents and larger TIs than, than you typically would for any other deal. And lots of free rent. You know, tenants want free rent just to get their space up and going. And a lot of them want more landlord work as well. So your net effective rents are a lot lower than what you would have expected in the past. But it sounds like just based on the description you're giving that predominantly your holdings are a little bit more sort of service oriented. Mm-hmm. Are they, I'm, I'm assuming they're often grocery anchored? Correct. So you've kind of, you're insulated yourself a little bit. You've got this grocery anchor in a neighborhood that you've participated in the development in often cases. So you kind of know what the mm-hmm. what the scope of community that you are servicing. Sounds like you're a little bit protected from the headwinds of e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we're definitely protected today. Our challenge is going to be figuring out what the grocery stores are going to do in the future. Because, you know, as online grocery shopping becomes more of the mainstream, then grocery store boxes will get smaller. So we're going to be in the same situation today that some of the big box stores are in where, you know, a grocery store that's on average, they're about 40,000 square feet and they may only want 20. And we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do with the 20,000 square well, feet. You know, we've had this conversation before on the podcast and, and guests in sort of similar situations would talk about how they're not that worried about it because there's that last mile of fulfillment. So if you've got that extra space, there's always ways to kind of convert the, the backside of a grocery store into where that last mile kind of resides, whether you're partnering with Amazon or however mm-hmm. that works. And there's there's a kind of conversion of retail to industrial. Mm-hmm. As long as you've got the clear height and you've got mm-hmm. the space, there's a way, there's ways to kind of make it work. So. And then in your next apartment project, you can build a cold room for grocery delivery and yeah. kind of uh, have all your asset yeah. classes feeding into each other rather than cannibalizing them. Well, that's true. <laughs> I have read a lot, you know, because obviously we're looking at, we, we have to think about the future and you, you read about, you know, you look to the States and what they're doing with big boxes and, you know, they're converting them to office space. Like you said, they've got the ceiling height to do that. Or they're converting them to entertainment space, movie theaters, indoor recreational parks. And as well, some universities are taking some of those big boxes and converting them to some component, like maybe something off-site campus. I think they can be repurposed. You just have to be open-minded and you have to get out of the idea that it's going to maintain as a retail 
space. Forever. You're, you're taking care of the fifth generation of Taggarts. You make sure yeah. that you'll be okay. Exactly, my grandkids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a great segue then. So, so what are you doing? What is the strategy? What is Taggart's approach to diversifying and, and kind of insulating themselves against inevitable change within the retail space? Well, today we're focusing, well, we'll always do retail because of their relationship with Tamarack. It won't be as much as we have done in the past, but we're really focusing on apartment building purpose-built rentals. That'll be our focus. Um, Is that sort of intensification of sites you've already got, like going to that current retail with large parking and and kind of uh, using that quote-unquote free land to build? Or are you really looking for new sites to kind of, you know, keep that endeavor going? We're looking at new sites. We don't have any any of our, our retail development today, like Rio Can and, and First Cap do. We don't have any sites like that. They are old that we will redevelop today. We will look at that in the future for sure. You know, some of our sites as they as they age and, and as maybe the tenants you start to get some vacancy issues, we may, we may look at that. But we're looking at, at new sites. We, um, we've we got a new site. We, we bought on O'Connor Street in Somerset. Where is that? And just, just geographically for those that aren't oh, familiar sorry. with Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's close to, it's just in center town. It's just on so the outside right. of the core. Okay, great. Yeah, so it's, an, it's a doctor's building that's old and it's a vacancy issue and it's got a, a parking lot adjacent to it. So we'll, we'll hopefully be doing two residential towers on the site and, you know, build one tower on the parking lot and then maintain the existing building. And then when the first tower is completed, start the second tower. So that building will probably eventually, over time, you know, it will eventually vacate just because of the nature of the of the building. It's a medical building. In any and, sense what on a per square foot buildable you, you purchase that land on? I'm just getting context where land prices are in general and in, in sort of the Ottawa market. You know, where we look at sites are $40 uh, a, a gross. That's where you think it needs to make sense. Yeah, yeah that's for buy, buy the land at 40 bucks per yeah, square foot. Yeah, yeah. And the market is providing at that price? You can find a, or is that a struggle? That's, I mean, we're... We, well, they just bought a, a vacant medical office building. So clearly you have to be a bit creative, which well, is fine. It, it, it doesn't have, I, yeah. it doesn't have, a, it doesn't have the, uh, it doesn't have the zoning on it though, right? right. Like well, the density you're, you're making a, you're making a, a, a guess that, yes. that, that you're going to get the zoning. We recently recorded a, a podcast with James Beach from Broccolini, and he was talking about just how, not easy, but how transparent the city of Ottawa is, and just really it is a sort of a, a hidden secret about development in Ottawa and that actually being an attribute to development here. Mm-hmm. Do you have the same kind of experience? Jim Watson just spoke, you know. That's and the, the mayor of Ottawa for those, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. From yeah. those side of the... It's okay, we got you. Don't worry, we got okay, you. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ottawa... We've done this before. I think Ottawa is very supportive of development. We're fortunate that there is that support. I think that they recognize that we need the intensification in order for the city to continue to grow. It's a good market to be in today for developers. Right. His worship, Mr. Watson, was just talking about, I mean, it, just to, to summarize real quickly, really a, kind of a pro-business approach and how he, he works with the councillors to make sure they maintain that you know, the development community is, a, is an attribute and a partner. And you know, it was really kind of a positive vibe. Not, and he's sitting in a room full of real estate professionals. But you got the sense that that genuinely is how he thinks about the business. Yeah, there was a, a pointed question, though, and I'd actually love to get your take on it. Uh, I guess it would probably be the harsher question of the group. They said that the mayor's been accused of being too cozy with the development community, and he, he had a great response to it. But, you know, what's your take on that? Is there a sense in the, you know, the Ottawa area that maybe the municipality is being too cozy with developers? I would think so. I mean, I think that if things are happening in the community, it doesn't mean that you're cozying with the mayor. You know, I think that he's just supporting the the intensification. I think it's a positive thing. I don't think he's cozying with the developers. I don't think I, think I would he, agree with I that statement. Just, he, I, I, would, I would just say that he's creating a scenario in which you can conduct business with some sort of certainty, which is really not common in a lot of municipalities, where you know what you're going to get, you mm-hmm. know what the timelines you're going to get, and you kind of know how it's going to transpire. 
And what's next then for, for Taggart, kind of transitioning to what does the next couple of years look like? Are you continuing to focus on multifamily, focusing on retail? Is there any interest in growing outside of the Ottawa, Kingston markets? I think today we're gonna, we'll are gonna be in the Ottawa market I, just because we want those synergies with the companies. I, I don't think I got, got into that today, but you know, when we do develop a, a residential building or a retail development, Taggart Construction's involved, Doran, Contractor, and our and Taggart Realty Management are all part of the development. So there's a lot of, you know, synergy within the group. So I think that's really important and that can really only happen in Ottawa today and potentially Kingston. But unless we decide to grow, you know, our general contracting arm outside of outside the Ottawa Kingston sort of area, then we feel like it's a really good market. It's a good stable market. It's got a really stable economy and we know it. So we're very comfortable. So I don't think we'd ever go to Toronto. I think there's too many big players in Toronto. We'd be a, a little, little tiny fish. <laughs> well, talking about 40 bucks per square foot, and you've got a bunch of developers listening, just drooling from Toronto, thinking <laughs> they'd make a fortune if they could find yeah. anything under a couple hundred bucks per square foot, quite frankly. Now, I don't know if that's the norm. I mean, you, I don't know if you, you, if there were, if you saw the Altus presentation this morning, but Altus did, you know, the market, uh, you know, of, across all the classes. And, and they talked about a couple land sales, and they were at $67 a square foot, right? I mean, but that had density on the site. So it was a bit different. It was a known, you know, it was known. More certainty. More certainty for sure. Like $40, you're taking the risk. You know, maybe we won't get the density that we hope, but that's the risk of buying the sites that we're looking at. And, and it, clearly, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's a buy, build and hold. Like you're, you're holding these long-term. That's our, our plan today because of our business. That's what we'd like to do. So we may decide that in the future, we may sell something in order to, to continue a pipeline of projects. As people probably know, it's expensive to buy the land and develop it. Very uh, capital intensive. So, you know, can we do all the projects we want to do? Well, maybe we'd, we'd sell one. It's not what our model is today, but who knows? You never know what the future is. If, if land prices start to be $60 a square foot, we might have to change that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So given that we are the Ottawa Real Estate Forum, I think the people who have interest in this area will be listening. Where do you think you can make money in Ottawa in the next five to 10 years? There's still going to be the focus on apartment buildings. That'll be a big part of it. I think in the industrial market, there's a lot of potential there. I think with all the online shopping, there's going to be a need. You know, Amazon built, you know, a million square feet out in the east end of Ottawa. There's talk of Broccoli building the 700,000 square foot warehouse space in the uh, sort of west, south, southwest of Ottawa. And there is a need for industrial space. So I think there's a real opportunity there. I think that, you know, people are going to need to find, or retailers are going to need to find space to store their product or if they're going to be shipping it. To uh, fulfill the orders, right? Like yeah. That fulfillment space. Yeah. And it's less expensive. Today, they were saying, you know, gross industrial rates are $17 a square foot versus gross retail rates are $45 a square foot. So, I mean, obviously they're larger spaces, so the rents, you know, have to reflect that. But I think there's an opportunity there. We're not looking at that today, but not saying that we won't look at it. We don't know the industrial market. That, you're bringing that up to the next board meeting. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, guys, yeah. Guys, yeah. I have this great idea. It's, def- it's definitely in the back yeah, of my next, mind. So yeah, the next Christmas party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely in the back of my mind because I, I think there's an opportunity there. And I think we have to be aware as we're building these, these apartment buildings as well. They have to really think about how you appeal to your new tenants because you want to be able to, you know, our newest building we built on Wellington, you know, we have a Dropbox for Amazon to come in and deliver packages and you touched on cold storage, right? They're going to have to have cold storage as people are doing these food prep sort of, I think of good food, but like where you order the food and it comes to your door, right? And so you have to make sure that you're really thinking about who your customer is going to be and what do they want. And 
And again, I, I looked at the States because they they're very innovative and they have coffee shops that are built into their buildings, right? So that people can just go downstairs and they're, you know, they work from home and they can grab something really quickly. And I think you have to have really good amenity space. So I think it's really a pay attention to who your customer is in the future. That's the theme for those that are keeping score that keeps coming up every episode is I'll use different terms from different different guests, but customer centricity is something that we hear regularly. And then programmatic living where you need to have programs, you need to have a brand of building to attract those customers because they're comparing you to the, the apartment next door, right? Experiential so, is another experiential word. Experiential comes up over and over and over again. Yes, yeah, so definitely. Very, definitely. very astute. Thank you very much, Julie. This has been wonderful. Thanks for sharing There's the story of your family. And honestly, I'd, I'd love to have you back on and see how it's going in the next 20 years or so. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'll talk to one of my kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Thank you very much for having right, me. Yeah, thanks very thanks. much. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.